We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Today is February 16th, 2019. And of course, if you are listening and you are viewing, you are now listening to the Marcelin Brothers podcast. So we've got the trio, the three amigos, the Marcelin's brothers cued. We are all here together. Some of us are at home relaxing, enjoying the Saturday evening, coming back from a house party and others are working. And I will let you audience get to figure out who's doing what. All right, so hold on one second. Marvin, what is going on with you? Nothing much, man. It's good to be back. You know, it's been a while since I've been, you know, on the MVP attack, and I'm glad that I'm here. Uh, happy Valentine's Day for all of those, all of you out there. Uh, just enjoying life, doing my thing, trying to get the the ball rolling. That's right. That's right. Welcome back, Marvin. We missed you. It's it was a lonely episode without you. Nah, but you guys held down the fort really well. Oh, very cool, Christopher. What's going on with you? What's going on? Oh man, nothing much. Just the usual work and family work life balance. And baby Eleanor is four months today. Yeah, oh, man. so that's a big milestone. Yeah. She's, Congratulations with that. Yeah, she's moving along nicely. She's got some good head control. Uh, we sit her up in a bumbo seat for about a minute or two. Um, we do tummy time. We put her on her tummy, and literally in two seconds, she rolls back over to her back and looks up and giggles. It's good. It's a fun time in the Marcel household. Oh, man. Does, did everything come back from all the stuff that you did with Eli? Is it all coming back to you? Yeah, it's funny. Like, this is when I start remembering it the most. Um, just a lot of the different stuff that Eli would do. It's funny to see how the same and how different she is from her brother. So it's fun times, fun times. Cool. And with me, we are at the point now where Ophelia will be starting school on Tuesday. So we're going to... Already? Ooh, yeah, she will be wow. 18 months in a couple of weeks. And we decided, you know what, she's been doing gymboree for a while. Now it's time for us to go to the next step. She's going to start school. We're going to have her start from 8 to noon for a little while just to see how things go. And based on how that goes, then we'll probably push it to 8 to 3. So wow. I'm going to be the one that takes her to school because... I am a little stronger at saying goodbye to Ophelia than my wife is, so I'll probably be doing that duty for a while, and then once Ophelia feels comfortable, then we'll probably have Leah jump in and yeah. do that. Don't worry. In one week, she'll be hopping out of the car saying, bye, Daddy, trying to run to, <laughs> to school. Uh-huh. It's to the point now where Eli wakes up on Saturdays and is like, Daddy, why aren't we going to school? And I'm like, Eli, it's Saturday. School's not open on Saturday. And he's just like, but why aren't we going to school? So I take it that he loves school right now, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's mean, try to see, keep that going as long as we can. We see the pictures of what he does all day, and it's just, it's very interesting. Um, mm. Have you guys, I mean, I'm going off topic. This could be a topic of discussion for another episode. But have you guys heard of Montessori schools and the different philosophies they have? It's well, very different what they're doing now with kids versus what was happening when we were in school. I know I haven't. Montessori school right now? No, he's not in a Montessori school, but it's a school that I'm pretty sure is trying to have all their ducks in a row before applying for a Montessori. Because in the last one or two years we've been there, I've seen lots of changes that I see. I'm like, hmm, this is familiar. I've seen this before. So it seems like they're either building themselves up to be. Um, applying for Montessori status or they want to align themselves with exactly what they're doing but not be affiliated with Montessori schools. But either way, it's good for me, so I'm happy. Montessori schools are a different type of teaching philosophy, a way to raise um, the, I guess it's kind of two to five range and some people extend it to elementary, but it's just different philosophies on how to raise kids and have them independent thinkers and it's very interesting. We should definitely do an episode on that at a later point. Yeah, I'd I'll love to hear about it. That because Ophelia is going to Montessori school. So I'm nice. able to learn a little bit about it. And like we said, well, that'll probably be an episode of itself. But I'll definitely let you know how it goes. Yeah, I believe it was um, kind of like a social experiment. Someone in Rome was tasked way back in the day with... Um, finding all the kind of inner city orphan kids and Montessori came up with her own curriculum and was challenged to kind of get these kids up to par with kids who had families because at that point they had a very rigorous public school education and with her philosophies and her teaching she was able to catch these uh, kids with no formal education up very quickly. And I think some of them even excelled to the point where it became kind of a way of thinking. If she can take someone so far back and have them caught up or ahead of kind of the elite children, it kind of changed the way that they were doing teaching. So she has very, very good core stuff. So good to learn about. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's start off with these episodes. So, Christopher, why don't we start off with you just so I can we can make sure that you are in and out just in case you get called in as we're doing our podcast. So go ahead, talk about your story, and let's discuss. So I'm always interested in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been kind of a little pet project of mine. I've been following it from when it first blew up last year to kind of its peak and how it's kind of on the decline now. So I, I guess Google figured out that I pay attention to Bitcoin and they kind of tailed their articles towards me. And I figured out, or one of these articles came up that was very, very interesting. Um, there's a Vancouver-based uh, Bitcoin company that had was trading. It was Quadria CX. And it was trading and it had Bitcoins. And apparently the CEO suddenly died, uh, 30-year-old Gerald Cotton. And he ran the company out of his home in North Halifax. And apparently, 
he had access to $190 million in the company's cryptocurrency. And Whoa. what gets even stranger is he had it locked in his digital wallet that only he had access to. And he died. And now $190 million has gone missing because no one else apparently can access his secure crypto wallet. So it's, it's a very odd position. It was an odd story. I clicked on the link, had to read about it some more. And just a lot of interesting things kind of are being taken from this topic. One is, how did that $190 million get into his personal cryptocurrency wallet? So there's a lot of controversy around this. They're saying that magically the company's money got sent to his kind of personal account and then he all of a sudden had a sudden death at the age of 30. There's a lot of people claiming that he faked his death and disappeared with $190 million. So that's also being under investigation at one point. And it brings us to kind of a different topic. Or another thing to think about is what's happening with the wife and the rest of the company. So right now, obviously, the company is being taken to court. All of the shareholders are demanding that they be refunded. They get their money back. And apparently, I guess, the company is liquidating assets left and right to try to meet its bills. And I guess now it even come, came to the point where the wife is having to liquidate some personal assets to help meet some of the demand of what's going on in the business world as far as the shareholders demanding their money. And it kind of leads you to the interesting point of finances and how we plan for um, untimely death. I mean, death is something that's always around. I mean, death and taxes are the two things that's promised to us. And this is a prime example of what happens when the sole finance person who's in charge of the finances passes away. This should kind of, should never happen because your partner should have at least a way to access the passwords, know where the bank accounts are. Like right now, um, if someone were to pass away in a two-person household, the partner should at least have some sort of instructions on how to access funds. Do they even know which bank you use? Do they know, do they have the username and login to the bank account if they have to withdraw money? Do they have, do they know where the checkbook is? Do they know where the 401k is? Do they even know if you have life insurance? Do they know how to um, to access the life insurance? Do they know what bills you normally pay? Do they know what the mortgage is? Uh, it's kind of, usually one person does all the finances and the other person kind of doesn't and does other tasks, but there should be some sort of formal instructions, documents. You guys should at least once a year kind of take the other person and say, hey, I know you don't normally do this, but this is where all of our finances are. We go to this bank. This is the username and password. This are the stock options we use. This is what we use to trade for our stocks. This is the username and login. Kind of even something basic as, oh, my financial technique is I like to buy and hold stocks and use the dividends. Kind of just even letting them know what your strategy is could go a long way because the, the last thing you want to do is leave your spouse or the other person with the rest of the family, the bills, and they're locked out of their finances. Even though this could be some foul play amok, it just brings up a very good point that there's always different talks that have to be around. Um, 
everyone should be involved with the finances, even if it's just to know in the event of an emergency from God what to do. I do you even know who your finance guy is, who to call. Just lots of stuff that you don't think about. I don't know. I think this is two different things. So one, what I think is interesting. So you've got the business aspect and you got the personal aspect of finance. And I don't know if things are different in Canada when you have a company versus things in the United States. But what I would find very interesting is in any company, this is a public company. This is a company that has multiple people who are involved in management. And you also have thousands of users who use this cryptocurrency exchange site. So the thing that I don't understand is when you have your checks and balances, let's say you've got a CEO, CFO, COO, like any organization that you're a part of, usually there are two people. I mean, there could be between one, there should be at least two people who have access to a certain account. You may have the treasurer and then maybe you have the president or the CEO that are involved when it comes to paperwork. So what I find very interesting is that this is only one individual who has total control of the finances. You don't have a backup person who's involved. Even if this is cryptocurrency, if you're dealing with $135 million, I feel like it is in a company's best interest to be able to have more than one person who is the sole possessor of the information for that company. So when it comes to looking at business practices, I think that's very foolish. And I feel that this is something that should never have happened because $135 million, this isn't like 10000 20000 How can somebody let one person solely be responsible for $135 million? Case closed. That's what another article was referencing. They were saying that, oh, it was an accident. The company accidentally deposited it into his crypto wallet instead of the company one. And the journalist in the article said that that's equivalent (laughs) to depositing hundreds of millions of dollars into the wrong bank account, into a bank account that you don't know who the owner is or you don't have access to. It just doesn't happen. So they're saying that there's some foul play going on and that they believe that there's more to the story and that leads to the kind of belief that he took the money and faked his own death and disappeared yeah to me when i'm thinking about this it feels like this was taken from a script from a movie you know what i mean like yeah all that money fake your own death live your life everything goes on so i i don't know i i feel like what I can do at least from this is the angle that you're taking earlier, Chris, which was, I don't know, find a way to break it down to your own point of view for your household. And in a situation like this, it's important um, if you're, you know, the head of a household or what have you, that your counterparts also know how to access all of the information that's necessary in order to keep the finances running so that in an event where you yourself are not available to provide your significant other can take over where you left off and then life can go on. So, wow, so much going on in that article. But but even with that piece too, like like Christopher was kind of, and it depends, like that's why in any financial, anything in finances in general, when you have holdings, there is an opportunity for you to be able to list your beneficiaries. 
So some people are like, hey, yes, we, we can share username and passwords for different accounts. Some people say, yes, we can have joint accounts. But at minimum, if you do or you don't want somebody to have the specific username and password to your personal account, have a joint account. Or if you don't want to go that route and you want the finances to be separate, then have a beneficiary established. When you have those beneficiaries established to these funds, if something does happen to you, then by law, the beneficiary will be able to have those funds. And let's say the beneficiary also is a part of the tragedy. There's also somebody who is a contingent. So that means somebody who is not the beneficiary will be able to have that money if the two individuals are in the same accident. And, and that's, that's very important information because it's funny. I prepared for this article. I was reading about it. I was ready for it. And right now I have no idea what you're talking about. Right now, if I were to go to my personal bank account, I don't know that I've set up a beneficiary. I don't know if they set up there's a second and third person to come in. I mean, for different stuff with life insurance, policy insurance, yes, they always make sure that happens. But right now, if I were to fall out right here, right now, I do not think I have anything set up to my personal account that even ties another person to it. So that's good stuff to look at because if you have a and joint... I've never heard of it before. No mm -hmm. one's even mentioned this to me before. I mean, right now you're saying that it makes sense, but these are this guy was 30 years old. These are sure. young people that you're not thinking about this happening. So, so definitely, I have no idea for me yeah. at least. So that's good homework for all of us then. When you get back, this doesn't have to be just your 401k. This is your retirement stuff. This is your any checking account that you have. There is a place where you can designate for beneficiaries and contingencies based on what goes on with you. Just because you have the same last name as somebody else doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to automatically go to you. What ends up happening is if you don't have the beneficiaries and you don't have this information in a will, then it has to go to probate or you got to hire a lawyer and then it gets dirty because then everybody and anybody who has any type of relation to you is going to say that they have more of an opportunity to get something more than somebody else. And that's even more difficult because it may not be what you as an individual want as far as what your wishes are. So at minimum, definitely try to establish beneficiaries in all of the financial accounts that you have. Worst case scenario, something does happen to you, your beneficiary can then hire somebody, accountant, a you know finance advisor to help he or she figure things out once that money goes to that beneficiary contingency. So yes, it's good to know the plan, but at the same time, if you are not the finance person and you have yes you may know that the plan is you know growth stock mutual funds you know spread upon index fund following the s p 500 but if you don't understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that you as an individual should follow that same plan because you should be comfortable in what you put your finances in so worst case scenario have a contingency plan have that beneficiary get that money and then the advice that you give your counterpart is if anything happens to me just find a financial advisor and invest in the way that you feel the most comfortable with, with that financial advisor. All right, Marvin, what's your article? All right. So um, my article is going to go back to, um, you know, pseudo politics, of course, without okay. me necessarily picking one side or another. I just want to report 
you know, the breaking news, what has gone on. So um, just recently, Trump declares the national emergency uh, to fund the border wall. So this is the saga that we've been following for, you know, the past couple of uh, months, actually. And it seems like we're seeing a definitive way that um, Trump is going to go about to get what he wants. So battling with one branch of government and opening in a new confrontation with another, President Donald Trump declared a national emergency Friday to fulfill his pledge to construct a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, bypassing Congress, which approved far less money for his proposed wall than he had sought, Trump said he'll use executive action to siphon billions of dollars from federal military construction and counterfeit efforts, or counter-drug efforts, rather, for the wall, they said. Uh, this move drew immediate bipartisan criticism on Capitol Hill and is expected to face rounds of legal challenges. Um, the money in the bill for the border barriers uh, was $1.4 billion. Uh, it's far below the $5.7 billion Trump insisted on, uh, in which he needed in order to finance just a quarter of the more than 200 miles uh, that he wanted built this year. And basically, to bridge that uh, financial gap, Trump announced that he's going to be spending roughly $8 billion on border barriers, combining the money approved by Congress with funding he planned to repurpose through executive actions, including the national emergency. And the money would come from funds targeted for counter-drug efforts, military construction. However, um, aides would not immediately specify which military projects um, would be affected. So, you know, it sounds like this wall is happening. Um, I don't know what your take is, whether you think it's good or bad, but it uh, looks like he's using all the, the tools in his toolbox to get this thing done. So what do you think? Go ahead, start off, Christopher. What do you think? Oh, I'm just wondering <laughs> what the true motivations are behind this wall. I have a hankering suspicion that the wall is a monument in his mind a monument to his legacy and he wants something that's going to be pretty darn tough to reverse because i feel like obama's legacy was obamacare and right now people are fighting to repeal it and have it taken off and kind of every president wants a standing legacy that they're remembered for and if you remember trump's always been big on real estate buildings um objects that you can touch and feel and I feel mm. like this wall is going to be his obelisk, his Trump monument. It's going to be Trump's wall. And once the wall comes up, it's not coming down or it's going to be very tough to get it down. It's not worth it. The money has already been purposed. If it costs X amount of money to put it up, it's going to cost another X amount to take it down. So in that, in that sense, it's going to be the great wall of Trump that's going to be around for as long as America's around. So, I've, and to me, I feel like it's more of a legacy thing than anything. Why he's all of a sudden so focused on it. Um, he's nearing the end of his run. Uh, I can't speculate on if he's going to rerun, if he even thinks he has the ability to be reelected. I think he's thinking now, right now, I want to leave my legacy. And I think this is more about legacy than anything. That's just my opinion on it. Fascinating, fascinating. What about you, Junior? 
it's very I'm trying to understand and I don't know much about you know the clause of declaring something uh emergency national emergency and when you do declare something in a national emergency does that mean that you know as the president you can do whatever you want so i'm not i need to do more research when it comes to that but does that mean you have a hundred percent power to do whatever you want to do because you declare it as a national emergency so if i say for instance that I feel that the there is global warming around the world. So because of that, you know, I declare it as a national emergency. So does that mean I get to go and move the White House from Washington, D.C. to Alaska because Alaska has the least threat of global warming? So then I am going to move the White House there. And again, I'm I'm just... <clears throat> I don't know how it works and what it does. Or, hey, I feel that, you know, the White House needs to have more protection. So instead of having, you know, 100 Secret Servicemen, I want a million Secret Servicemen because that's a national security threat because that's my life and I need more people to guard myself. So I don't know how it works. And I don't know when you do establish something as national emergency, does that mean that you get whatever you want without having to worry about Congress, because usually you've got your checks and balances, you've got your legislative branch, you've got your judicial branch, and then you've got your executive branch. And if any one side is out of line, you've got two other sides that can check that side. So when it comes to something like this, is it something that's constitutionally allowed to do? Is, is there precedence behind it? Does it depend on what the national emergency is? Or do you get to do whatever you want to do because you declare it as a national emergency? So I think that's interesting. And think, another thing that I think is interesting, too, is we've had lots of emergencies that go on. Like, I know hurricanes, you know, there, all that stuff goes on. So when those things happen, I know that there is, when you do declare something like an, a weather emergency, that means you get federal funds and certain things happen. But I guess my question is who is able to figure out whether something is a national emergency or not. And is that, you know, one of the rules as a president, because you're the president, that's one of the things that you get to do. And that's why the people elected you to what you're doing. That's the part that I'm trying to figure out. I think it's more of the last thing you said, that it's intentionally a gray zone, that the people who have made these rules have left themselves an out that they could potentially kind of, I don't want to say do whatever you want, but, so they could do whatever they want. They left themselves a gray zone that's allowed to be challenged in court. And pretty much, I completely agree that no one knows what the right way to proceed is. And that's the point. So if anything happens, you can kind of do anything. And there's no definitive yes or no, right or wrong. And you can kind of tip the scales however you want, argue it however you want. So I believe it is left to user discretion. And that's why the whole point... The sanctity of electing a president is to elect someone who's going to use these powers for the greater good and use good judgment. So that's kind of the whole point of electing a president. And I do think they left it like this intentionally so, so that whoever's president can use their judgment and have a way to get things done at any time. 
Yeah, the part that I say here says part, Trump argued that his immediate three predecessors had made emergency declarations, though the presidency cited did not use emergency powers to pay for projects that Congress wouldn't support. So I think that's interesting because it's, again, it's finding another, you tap Congress and Congress votes in in supposed to be voting based on what the people want because you've got your house of representatives you have your senate these individuals represent constituents from back home and the thought is whatever the people want they will funnel that to their elected officials and they would be their voice now we know that that sometimes doesn't happen that way but that's the general sense so what i think is interesting is that you know the congress has spoken but president doesn't like what Congress says. So because of that, then the president says, well, I'm not going to do what the group as a whole wants. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want. So that almost in essence, what that tells me, if this is something that actually passes, anytime a president does not like something, he or she can say, well, I declare this as a national emergency. And that defeats the whole purpose of having a Congress then, because then as an elected official, as the president of the United States, essentially I have no checks and balances and I can do whatever I want. And that's pretty scary. That's yeah. my take on it. Not necessarily is the wall right or wrong. It's more of, from my perspective, what I'm getting at is it's scary that you can have the Congress want one thing and you can just be against it all of a sudden. Yeah, and that just reminds me of the importance and not to cavalier to just vote for anyone that it reminds me of the importance of the sanctity of being the president of the united states and people say oh it's just a figurehead there is power to that seat there is power to that chair wow well spoken y'all well spoken think, sounds like you guys have taken some political science classes okay i see you yeah so for me um I, I'm looking at it from the point of view of, you know, the legislative, judicial versus ex executive branches and how if you have uh, different groups um, with different ideas, how do they come together to move forward? So um, what I think when it comes to the wall is that there's, there's no right or wrong answer. And, and that's that's the issue that's at hand. So just like what Christopher was saying, this is based on the, the sanctity of the president and um, the elected officials who are in power, you know, they're going to represent what the people want. And I hope and I pray that they're able to continue to, you know, discuss amongst themselves to come to a, uh, to a solution that will work for everybody. Um, I'm really optimistic, but uh, we'll see how this will unfold and we'll see what time tells. So a long answer, but my answer is we'll see what happens. Very, <laughs> that's, that's a very political answer. What I got from that was absolutely nothing. No, no bias one way or another. I feel like from us two, you could hint at where we stand and Marvin's just like, hmm, well, <laughs> we'll whatever, happens happens. Is, whatever happens is the right choice. 
<laughs> Most people would have thought that's how I would have answered. So interesting. All right. So I know we're getting close to the end. So let me break down my article. So I wanted to. So mine's a sports article, but it also goes into looking at, you know, socioeconomical opinions on things. So this is Colin Kaepernick and NFL reach settlement and collusion lawsuit. So I'll read this story real quick. We'll do a background really quick on those who are not are not familiar with Colin Kaepernick. But this is the article. The NFL and lawyers for Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed announced Friday that the two parties have reached a resolution in the players' collusion lawsuit against the league. Kaepernick and Reed filed a grievance in 2017 claiming NFL team owners were colluding to keep them off of NFL rosters. For the past several months, counsel for Mr. Kaepernick and Mr. Reed have engaged in an ongoing dialogue with representatives of the NFL, both parties said in a joint statement. As a result of those discussions, the parties have decided to resolve the pending grievances. The resolution of this matter is subject to a confidentiality agreement, so there will be no further comment by any party. Kaepernick made headlines in 2016 when he began kneeling during the national anthem to protest police brutality and racial inequality. The following year, Kaepernick opted out of his contract with the 49ers when it appeared that the team would cut him during the offseason. He remains unsigned. Reed, his former 49ers teammate, was the first player to join him the on, on the on-field protest. The Panthers signed Reed in the fourth week of the 2017-18 season. He received a three-year deal earlier this week worth more than $22 million. The Players Association... NFL Players Association said they were not informed of the details of the settlement, but were supportive of Kaepernick and Reed. We continuously supported Colin and Eric from the start of their protest, participated with their lawyers throughout their legal proceedings, and were prepared to participate in the upcoming trial in pursuit of both truth and justice for what we believe the NFL and its clubs did to them, the NFLPA said. We are glad that Eric has earned a job and a new contract, and we continue to hope that Colin gets his opportunity as well. So let's go with Marvin first. Tell me your thoughts. Christopher, tell me your thoughts, and I'll kind of close. What do you think? <clears throat> well, I'm glad that they came to some sort of agreement, but, you know, I kind of want to see and hear, you know, what that agreement entailed. Uh, I know a lot of people were, you know, um, either rooting or against the situation at hand, but without knowing what the settlement, not necessarily like settlement for like money, but I want to know um, did the NFL actually, um, you know, come to agreement saying that, yeah, we did actually, you know, lock you out, um, i.e. Kaepernick? Or is Kaepernick just moving on because maybe he, he knows that he might actually get a spot on the job on a roster next year? I know that uh, there was that new league. What is it called? The AAF? Yeah, that was kind of sort of trying to recruit uh, Kaepernick to play for them, but he kind of turned them down. I guess his price tag was too high. So, you know, does that also play a role as well? Um, so I have a lot of questions, but for me, I kind of wished that uh, this wasn't done behind closed doors because I want to know, were his efforts successful? Um, you know, who gets that win? Who knows? What do you think, Chris? 
it's a very, 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 very interesting situation. Lots of opinions, um, lots of things back and forth. It's hard to prove anything because it's just the overall way things went down. Very tough to prove anything. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all hearsay. It's all your opinion, all what you think happened. Um, was Colin Kaepernick playing at his prime when all of this happened? He wasn't at his prime. Um, he's starting to fall off. Was he physically good enough to be the starter of the 49ers? Was he physically good enough to be the backup? Did it come down to he was drawing, calling a lot of attention to himself? And was it one of those things where he's calling a lot of attention to himself and at that point he wasn't really worth being a backup on a team? So it's tough to say. Were the NFL owners actively blocking him from being on the team or was it kind of a situation where he was meh as a backup and me as owner Am I going to pick this guy up and all the baggage that he brings just to be a satisfactory backup? Tough to tell. I do believe some owners actively wanted to keep him out, but I can't, you can't prove who. And I do believe he was not performing at a level to where people would be like, hey, I want this guy on my team regardless of all the drama he's bringing with them. Would he have been good enough to be a backup if he had no drama with him? It's tough to say because that was kind of right when his performance was teetering. If he was at the prime of his career in the 49ers and this was happening, he can say without a doubt, yes, they were actively keeping him out of the NFL. They were going out of their way. But it's kind of one of those things where his performance was teetering. Other people were at the same status as him, position-wise, getting the job done. But without drama. So, I mean, as an owner, I could see oh, if I have two guys who are performing exactly the same, one guy is going to get me on ESPN for negative reasons, the other one's not. I'm going to go with the guy who's not going to get me um, in the hot seat. So, it's tough to say were, were they actively boxing him out or was it just, meh, you could, have been a, you could have been a backup in the league, but it wasn't worth all the attention that he brought with him even though I do believe some people actively were trying to keep him out. So it's tough to say. And then now since um, there's a shroud of secrecy around whatever they settled on, will we ever know? It's tough to say. I guess for me, so I kind of wish also that it didn't get to the settlement point because you know, for Colin Kaepernick, he felt so strongly about his cause for kneeling. And with that, he was willing. He knew what he was getting himself into. And I think for him, he was very proud that he was able to bring light into such a topics of police brutality. So... I guess for me, I wish I was also in the room with the NFL when they came to this arrangement because it 
must have been some huge dollar amount. I, everybody has a price, I think. And I guess maybe from my perspective, the NFL probably got to the price that Colin was looking at. So because do you think it's it's some um, uh, monetary thing? So I see where you're going at it. So if if the results of his actions was some sort of um, awareness that the NFL is actually taking more consideration into, like uh, donating to certain charities and uh, trying to promote certain individuals and certain groups, uh, that would be something that they would try to broadcast to show that, hey, look, we're doing X, Y, and Z, and it's making a positive difference in the community. So do you think any of that stuff um, was taking place within that settlement or is it just financial and that's why they're keeping everything behind closed doors well the nfl already has been doing that and i think ever since the colin kaepernick move i mean you see all of the commercials that go on during the super bowl you see all the commercials that go on during the pro bowl you hear about walter payton man of the year and all the different things that are going on in the inner city and a lot of this has come to pass because of I feel the in- information, the attention that Colin Kaepernick was able to bring to this awareness. So I feel that that stuff has been going on now. And I think from reading different articles and stories, this is something that has been going on because of him. So I guess my question is, that's already going. It's not like this settlement caused the NFL to start doing more of these programs for the inner city of youth because this is currently going on right now because of him. For me, it's, again, I wish I knew what he was thinking. And again, we're never going to know because part of the settlement is that they have a, they, there's a clause where they can't say anything. So for me, that's why I kind of come to the conclusion where it must have been some sort of huge, he, he the money, whatever dollar amount, the NFL must have gotten to it because if they didn't do this, eventually they would have gone to court. When you go to court, then you get get subpoenaed. When you get subpoenaed, you get records of everything that was going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure the NFL did not want for Roger Goodell to be that point. Yeah. So I feel that, the NFL is a very, very, it's the, one of the biggest empires you have in the world right. with all the viewers, with the sponsorships, with it's just, it's America's game. And I think with all that stuff, there must have been a huge dollar amount because the NFL had everything to lose. The longer Colin Kaepernick kept on going and going and going, I feel like the more his cause would have kept on going and going and going. But now it stops. And we don't get to see if he was right or if he was wrong. Now, I think whether or not you are for or against Colin Kaepernick, I do think people wanted to see whether or not there was merits to what he was discussing whether, yes, he was telling the truth, or not yes, he was telling the truth, but yes, there was collusion against him, or no, there really wasn't collusion against him, but now we never get to see that. And that's the part that I wish we would have been able to see it, so one way or the other, it would have been able to put 
to bed what was going on. So with that being said, if something were to happen again, there isn't any rule that is going to be made that says, yes, you can or yes, you can't, because nobody has been found guilty or not guilty of anything. So I just think that's very interesting. And I'm very curious from the perspective of Colin's lawyers, you know, they must have felt strongly enough to have him say, yes, let's settle this and move on. So that's yeah. kind of my take. Well, in the end, um, uh, Mr. Reed, he's still playing. He's, he's on another team now. And, uh, Hopefully, Colin will be able to play as well. What I think is interesting, too, just before we wrap it up, is Christopher brought up a good point. He might have been good enough to play, but maybe an NFL team would not want to have him on the team. Not necessarily because all the owners say, no, let's get him out of the league, but maybe it's like what Christopher said. Maybe, yeah, he may be a hair better but if we're not going to win the Super Bowl, is it worth having all the potential negative publicity if we're not going to make the Super Bowl anyways? For instance, my when I thought he would have gotten a chance was this year, Washington Redskins had a quarterback, Alex Smith. Alex, they were going to the playoffs, they are doing well, and then all of a sudden he hurt his leg. And this is like, maybe week 11, 12, they're kind of in the playoff hunt, but they bring in Mark Sanchez. What oh. fumble. Oh. Right. So you're telling me that butt fumble is better than Colin Kaepernick? Absolutely not. So I can only take this two ways. Either they really like him, they said that he had some familiarity with the offense, blah, 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 blah. But again, it comes to the Washington Redskins, especially being in Washington, D.C., now Washington area, were they willing to choose him, deal with the publicity, maybe make the playoffs? But now every single time they go places, there's going to be all this news, all this information, all of this fanfare, good or bad, negative, positive publicity, or, okay, let's just grab somebody and let's just finish the season and we'll start over next year. So that's kind of the point I was getting to where this kind of happened on the decline of his career. So if, and this is my opinion, I can kind of relate everything back to what I know. With medical malpractice, if reasonable physicians can have a discussion whether or not this should or should not have happened, then it's no longer malpractice. If reasonable people who are well-informed with the game of football can say, listen, I can't really tell if they actively blocked him out or if he was just playing at a level where someone else was the same level as him and I'd rather choose someone else without any baggage. So it's tough to say. If this was... Tom Brady, if he was playing at the level of Tom Brady and wasn't on a team, everyone could say without a shadow of a doubt he was being actively um, held out of the NFL. If he was playing at the level of Jimmy Garoppolo and still didn't make a team, then obviously they were actively holding him out. But since he was playing at the level, which is nothing, not a knock against him, 
at the time this happened, he was playing at the level of a backup quarterback. Reasonable people can have a discussion about this, so I don't think you can definitely say one thing or another. Then maybe they had deep, dark motives at the bottom of their heart. Maybe, but... But all teams still need backup quarterbacks, though. Hmm. But I, But my thing is, if you have two backup quarterbacks who are 79 overall player rating, if you choose one versus the other, you can't really... You can't fault someone for choosing one versus the other if they're both 79. If one's 79 and the other one's 5, and you chose the 5 over the 79 then it's easier to say something. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we can go on and on and on with quarterback comparisons. I was going to say I was going to say RG3 is another thing, but cuz they're kind of similar players, but again, I, I think the point is there we'll never really know what's going on behind the scenes and I'm very curious to see if what happens in the future about this, but I'm looking at the time. I know you guys are busy. We've been on here for 48 minutes. I'd love to chat even longer, but I do want to be sensitive to your guys' time. So any last words before we get out of here? Um, get together. Talk to your partners about your finances. Have a plan. People always say, la-da-da-da-da, get a living will, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? I don't have a living will. So, Yes. It's important to talk about them, have a plan, even if you don't go as far as getting a living well. What, what I like to say is just in life in general, whenever something comes about, uh, it's important to know what the rules are for the game. The people who understand the rules of the game are the ones who get things done. So make sure uh, you bring the passion with you in whatever it is that you want, but also understand how the game works in order to do things the right way to get the final solution of what you want. I guess for me, it's just remember anything that you are passionate about, realize that the reason why you're doing what you're doing, just remember what those reasons are because people can be for you or against you. But at the end of the day, as long as you feel like what you're doing is right and you're doing it because of what you wanted to do it, just keep that in mind as you're, going through whatever trials and tribulations you're going through and you know everybody does have a price so you know it's very easy to make an opinion when you don't have all the information and sometimes you just have to live with the decision that you make and move forward with it so that being said we have done another episode thank you guys get back to work I'll see you later tomorrow, Christopher. Marvin, we'll keep in touch. We still got to catch up about how the party went, and I'll talk to you guys later. All right. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life. 